to you once again. A very good morning. And uh, just a few things that we do have going on this week. Uh, the Monday morning Bible study uh, will meet at 11. That will be in the sanctuary. And then on Wednesday, a couple of things. We do have the Wednesday morning prayer meeting and Bible study that we do virtually. And that's at 1030. Uh, just email me if you uh, or contact me somehow if you want to be involved in that. And then we will have youth on Wednesday evening at 6.30. If that changes, we'll make sure we get hold of people. But uh, we, we do plan on all of that. Also, uh, we have our, our bunny back. Uh, Becky brought that in this morning. And for those of you that uh, have come to Powell in the past around this time of year, uh, you know what the bunny is all about. There will be a picture of that, I believe, on Facebook, correct? And then... Uh, you can make your guesses on Facebook if you want, and, and we'll put the slip in the box. Or uh, if you do want to show up during the week and and uh, come and fill out your own paper, uh, you can do that. And if you don't have a key, let me know. I'll make sure you can get in and, and uh, see if you can compete against the guy that has unlimited access to the bunny and knows how to count. Uh, so, but that is here this year. Thanks again, Pat. So that'll be up on Facebook. If you have any questions, you can contact us about that. And that's what we've got going on as far as the week is concerned. And let me uh, then turn to the words of uh, the psalmist, the Psalm of David uh, from Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do exalt your holy name. Help us in our worship that we may have calm hearts and focused minds, that we may see your glory and give you all praise. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And as we begin our worship, uh, we will go to the Lord in prayer. And I will give you a few moments here that you can go silently to the Father with your own repentance and confession uh, with some of those who are on your prayer list uh, today and, and other cares that you have on your mind. And then I'll begin the pastoral prayer. But uh, first of all, let's go silently. Heavenly Father, all of creation declares your glory. Give us eyes to see you in all things. Help us in the midst of this, uh, this, this unity and in the midst of, of all that is happening. Give us a sense of your presence. 
that we may feel you working in our lives, that we may sense your calling in our hearts, that you may direct our steps, that we may continue on your path. Heavenly Father, we are dependent on your power, for we have none of our own. We are dependent on your grace and your mercy, for we are sinners. May we be convinced of the guilt and pollution of our sin. May we feel our need for a Savior and King. May we implore of Him repentance as well as forgiveness. May we love holiness, be pure in heart, have the mind of Jesus, and tread in His steps. Heavenly Father, help us walk in righteousness and in truth. And Lord, we do pray for our leaders. We ask for their safety and protection. We do ask that you will grant them your wisdom, that they may lead rightly, that we may live in peace. We do pray for medical people and all of those on the front lines in, during this time of pandemic. And we thank you again for these vaccines that come out. We pray for their effectiveness. We pray that people will be able to get vaccinated. We pray that this will all come to an end, Heavenly Father. We know that you are in control of all things, and we take great joy and comfort in that. We do pray for those we know who are sick. Pray for those who are struggling with uh, different illnesses and cancers, those who are suffering seizures and strokes, those who are waiting for doctor results and ideas and, and uh, ways they can attack certain illnesses. We lift them all up to you and ask for your gracious healing upon them, for your comfort in their hearts, and for strength for them and their families as they deal with various illnesses. And Lord, we pray for our youth and our children. They're being brought up in a world that seems so out of control. They're being brought up hearing teaching that is not true. And so we pray for their souls and ask that you put a hedge of protection around them. Keep them safe in their schools and, and healthy and help them grow up in the knowledge of you, that they may become better servants, better children of you each and every day, aware of your mercies, aware of your grace, aware of all your blessings. We do pray for them as they witness this world and as they grow in this world. We pray for the lost those lost in their sin. Heavenly Father, give them a sense of their sin that they may hate sin and know their need for a Savior. Know their need for the King of Kings who can and will forgive. Give them repentant hearts, humble hearts, that they may come to you and receive your 
blessing and be saved into eternity. For those that we know and love personally, help us to speak your truth lovingly, graciously, and boldly, that they may see you in our actions. We do pray for the purity of your church, that your people may stay true to your word, that we may stay true to what you will have us do in this world, that we don't get carried away by the concerns and, and the, the frivolousness that can exist in this world, but that we stay true to you with all joy and with all love, that again, your glory may be seen, that you may be praised. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. And then I will have you turn to John chapter 6. And uh, we will be reading verses 1 through 21. And uh, just to set up uh, where we are as, as we go into this, uh, in, in chapter 5, there was a, a healing. Uh, and it's a representative healing, if you will. Uh, John makes it clear that more things have happened. There have been more healings. But, uh, but there was this... Uh, representative healing, if you will. It happened on the Sabbath, and and then Jesus made himself equal with God, and, and that causes all kinds of problems. If you see John uh, chapter 5, verse 18, uh, it reads, This was why the Jews, and that's the Jewish leaders, were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. And uh, what is happening is that there is this uh, increasing crowd, this growing crowd that is starting to follow Jesus now. And so we come to this passage, and this is uh, perhaps the only, outside of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the only uh, passage that is common to all four Gospels. Uh, there's a couple uh, that might get alluded to, or, or that uh, some will say... Uh, we're part of all four, but but this one is clearly uh, in all four Gospels, which makes it kind of special. They all uh, focus on this one a little bit, and and it is the uh, the feeding of the five thousand. So uh, we will read this, and also I will remind or just let you know that this is another one of those chapters where we won't get to the lesson, if you will, until next time. Because Jesus gives teaching about uh, what he sets up here, what John sets up here. But let's read this account and, and see what John, uh, what God has to tell us uh, with this. John chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. 
Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boats, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And as we look at it, we ask that you will guide our hearts and that you will teach us that we may grow stronger in your truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know that any of the disciples uh, kept a diary. Uh, we have a few, obviously, that wrote Gospels, and they were keeping track of some things, but, uh, but a disciple that uh, would have, at the end of this day, uh, written in his diary, that would have been some kind of entry, uh, you know, dear diary, today uh, I was with Jesus, and there was a whole bunch of people, thousands of people, and we only had a little food, and he fed everybody, and there was a whole bunch of food left over, and then tonight we went out on a boat, and Jesus walked on the water and then transported us instantly to where we were going, and uh, I look forward to tomorrow. I mean, how much better does it get than this? Uh, Jesus is doing some incredible things, and, and this is in a day, you notice in verse 22, then on the next day, uh, when they're over in Capernaum, then, then we get the teaching about uh, what happened here, but, but there are some, some things going on. And one of the things that we see here, especially in these uh, first four verses, and specifically verse 2, is we see this recurring problem that, uh, that comes up from time to time. And in verse 2 it said there's a large crowd uh, following uh, Jesus. Uh, he had, had gotten away with his disciples, but here's this large crowd. But notice this. They were following him because they saw the signs that he was doing sick. And if you remember back in uh, chapter 2, uh, 
uh, chapter 2, verse 23 and 24, uh, it was the Passover uh, from the previous year. And many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew their hearts. All they were there for was to see another sign. They didn't really believe in him. They would, they would believe in him to a point as long as they could see something happening. And that's what we have here again, or that's what we'll see uh, happening here again. That uh, they're intrigued with the signs. They're intrigued with almost the entertainment, if you will, of Jesus. And, and so Jesus is with his uh, disciples on this mountain. And in Mark uh, chapter 6, which also writes about this account, Mark makes it clear that Jesus uh, wanted the disciples to get away by themselves. And just he was going to be with them. He wanted them to rest. Uh, in Mark chapter 6, it says there was no leisure even to eat. These crowds are, are coming. And, and this has got to be exhausting for Jesus. Because every step he takes, he's being misunderstood. And, and the disciples are probably getting a little perplexed by this. They're trying to figure things out and, and see all of these people not understanding Jesus as well. Uh, you can go back in, in John chapter 2. Uh, when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll build it up in three days. And the Jewish leaders said, well, it took us 46 years to build this. You know, they, they didn't get it. In John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again, be born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said, how, how do I get back into a womb? In chapter 4, there is a woman at the well and Jesus says, I will give you living water. She says, but you have no bucket. In chapter 5, Jesus heals an invalid. 38 years the guy hasn't uh, been able to walk, and Jesus heals him, and the Jewish leaders say, on the Sabbath? That's not how we do things around here. Just being misunderstood time after time. This has got to get exhausting. And here's this crowd now following, and Jesus said, we need a little break. So they go to this mountain, and, and the crowds uh, follow. And we get a new see that in verses 5 through 10. The new problem is this. We've got a whole bunch of people and very little food. In fact, uh, it says there are 5,000 men in verse 10. 5,000 adult males, if we will. In Matthew chapter 14, when he writes about this account, uh, he also mentions besides women and children... Mark's account says that he had them sit in groups of hundreds and fifties. And, and when you think about it, the total number of people may actually be closer to 20,000. Uh, and that's not really uh, a ridiculous number. 5,000 men, you could, you know, that's probably just a fraction of the number of people who were there with the women and children as well. So there's a whole bunch of people. And Jesus turns to Philip. you notice that. Uh, he turns to Philip and says, well, we are, where are we going to get food? And you might think, well, why would he ask Philip this question? Well, Philip is actually the obvious man to ask. Uh, you'll notice in verse 1, they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And if you have your map, that means the east side, opposite Capernaum. It's, it's on the east side of the sea now. And back in chapter 1, Verse 44, we found out that Philip is from Bethsaida, which is, this is the area of Bethsaida. And so Philip 
would know this is his stomping ground. Jesus almost he turns to him and says, okay, Philip, this is your hometown. Where's your deli? We, we got a pretty big order here. And Philip is thinking financially here, well, we don't have enough money for this many people. Even if we had uh, 200 denarii, and, and by the way, denarius equals about one day's pay for the common laborer. Even if I were carrying around eight months' worth of pay or, or thereabout, I, maybe everyone could get a bite? Maybe? We, we can't afford this, and maybe in the back of his mind he's thinking, and we probably should have called ahead, my deli can't handle 20,000 people uh, at the drop of a hat here. Uh, so Philip has no idea. Then Andrew uh, comes into the picture here in verse 9, and, and you know, sometimes I, I look at these stories and I think, where do I fit in? What, what guy would I be if I were there in this story? And I think uh, this week it'd be Andrew. Uh, Andrew says, hey, I, I found a boy here, and he's got, uh, you know, a, a couple of fish and, and a few loaves of bread, because um, that's how I help, you know. I, I'll do a little bit, and then you guys figure out the rest, all right? That's kind of what Andrew, I, I think Andrew is, is very uh, serious about this. He's like, look, we've got just a little food, and we can't do much with this, can we? I would have put the, now you guys figure out the rest part of it. I did my part. But Andrew's like, well, here's what we got. This isn't going to get us very far. We've got all these people, uh, very little food, uh, and Jesus, he knew what he was going to do this whole time. And in verses 11 through 15, John just portrays this as, as a pure miracle. Jesus gives thanks and starts handing out food. And John is very clear that Everybody eats as much as they want. In verse 11, they ate as much as they wanted. In verse 12, they ate uh, eaten their fill, it says. In, also in verse 12, they have leftovers. And they collect these leftovers. And, and by the way, this is uh, a custom, a Jewish custom. At the end of the meal, you would gather up all the leftovers. And they get uh, this, these 12 baskets. All the Gospels, by the way, mention the 12 baskets. There's some significance in there, as D.A. Carson writes, almost certainly significant. Uh, the Lord has enough to supply the needs of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this would have been an Old Testament prophecy type thing where God says they, they will all have their fill. And, and there's a lot of symbolism going on in here. There's the Passover, and, and we're talking about bread. There's these 12 baskets and the 12 tribes of Israel. That this is happening, Jesus is on a mountain, and that kind of points to Moses a little bit, because Moses uh, did a lot of his work on the mountain and, and went up to uh, the mountain. And in fact, some people pick up on that idea of Moses when they say in verse 14, well, this is the prophet. And that's, that's a call back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses told Israel, God's going to raise up another prophet like me. And so they're saying, well, this, this is that prophet. Now, when we get to the teaching of this later on next week, Jesus is going to say, well, I'm like that prophet, but I'm actually much more than Moses. But here's what they're thinking. 
They think, well, Moses is the one that led us out of Egypt, or actually led our forefathers out of Egypt, out of slavery. So surely now that we have the second Moses, the, the second prophet, this one is going to help us escape the servitude of Rome. We're not going to be under the shackles of Rome anymore because as Moses took them out of Egypt, this one is going to free us from Rome. Now, the Galileans, by the way, they're not under the direct rule of, of the Roman governor. Uh, down in Judea they were, but in Galilee they're not under the direct rule, but uh, Herod Antipas, who was their leader, was merely a puppet. He, he was a Roman. So in all actuality, they were being controlled by Rome. And now they realize, wait, here is this prophet. And we're going to rid ourselves of Rome. And Jesus uh, picks up on what they're thinking. Uh, in verse 15, perceiving they're about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And this is where that idea of the 5,000 adult males comes in. This is a pretty good army to start with, and that's what they're thinking. We got a lot of people here. We're going to take him by force, make him our leader, and we're going to go, and this is insurrection time. He is going to take us and, and free us from Rome. Now, Jesus makes very clear that his kingship is like no he will tell Pontius Pilate that when he's brought before Pilate just before his crucifixion in chapter 18, Jesus will say, my kingdom is not of this world. Here's what Jesus knows, that his kingdom is going to triumph not by seeing warfare, but his kingdom is going to triumph by dying and then rising again. Edmund Clowney puts it very well. He would go to Jerusalem not to wield the spear and bring the judgment, but to receive the spear, thrust, and bear the judgment. That's how he's going to reign. In Mark chapter 10, uh, Mark tells us uh, to give his life. He came to give his life as a ransom for man. That's not what the people want here. What they want is this nationalistic, flag-waving, spear-thrusting Jesus to, to fulfill their desire for power, basically. Power and freedom. And down through history, that is what many Christians have tried to turn Jesus into. Some nationalistic guy wrapped in a flag, wielding all kinds of weapons. But that's not who Jesus is, and that does not honor Jesus. Look what Jesus does in verse 15. He walks away from them. If that's what we try to reduce Jesus to, he will walk away from them. That's not who he is. That's not what his kingdom is all about. And that's a sobering truth for the church. Jesus didn't come 
to lend power to our existing appetites. A power, our, our appetite for power, or even things. But Jesus came to save us and to change us. And if we try to make him something else, we see what he does. He walks away. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. In the Psalms, you constantly run across phrases like, open my eyes, God, that I may see your way. Teach me your will. Make me understand. It's a constant refrain, and that needs to be a constant prayer in our lives. Not what I want, God, but help me to see what you want. Make your desires my desires. Don't feed this existing uh, egotistic appetite that I have, but change who I am. see who you are. Those 5,000, 20,000, however many were there, they, they didn't see this. And so Jesus walks away and, and his disciples get on a boat and, and we see that in verses 16 through 22. And, and this kind of closes out the day. John is, is helping us to, to see some things here uh, as he makes this transition. He explains how we get from the east side of the Sea of Galilee over back to the west side on uh, Capernaum. But he's also showing us something here. Showing us who Jesus is. Jesus is the king of creation. And, and Jesus comes and he's walking out of the water and the disciples are afraid. And, and in verse 20, Jesus said, do not be afraid. It is I. Don't, don't be afraid. Even though I'm not the earthly king that you thought I was going to be. Even though things are out of control, this, this, the stormy sea is somewhat of a metaphor. Even though things are out of control and I'm not controlling things the way you want to, don't be afraid. Because of who I am. I'm sovereign. He's standing on water, as he says he transports them immediately to where they want to be, defying space and time and physics and things that boggle my mind. I have no idea how he did this. He's sovereign over it all. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid if I'm not running the world the way you want me to. Because I'm sovereign over this whole thing. And there's something about the disciples getting into the boat that John doesn't really mention. Matthew and Mark uh, pointed out explicitly. In John, you, you kind of just see little bits of it. But in Matthew and, and Mark, they make it clear that Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go. You almost read, when you read those accounts, that he demanded, you get in the boat and you get away from me. Because he doesn't want his disciples to be influenced by the wrong enthusiasm. These people on the mountain, they're enthusiastic, but for the wrong reasons. Jesus doesn't want them to get excited 
about how useful Jesus might be in getting what they already want, just like he doesn't want us to get excited about how we can use Jesus to get what we want, he wants them to be excited about who he is. He is King of Kings. He is our Savior. And so when we see this passage, the, the question we have to ask is, will we see God's glory? Will we see the glory of Christ. In all these chapters, people are looking at Jesus and not seeing his glory. How can you build a temple that way? How do you get back in there? You have no fire. You're doing this on the Sabbath. You filled our bellies, but they're not seeing his glory. 5,000 men full bread and fish, and they fail to see his glory. They want to make him a national king. The disciples see it. Jesus grabs his disciples, and you get on the boat and go up there, and they see it. They see him walking on the water. They see what he can do. So will we struggle to use Jesus to satisfy our to make our list of wants and say, okay, Jesus, i got to get you to do what I want. Are we going to enter into that struggle and miss the glory of Christ? Or will we come humbly that he may show us his glory, that he may show us his purpose, that he may be our desire and fill our souls and lead us in Heavenly Father, you have commanded us to believe in Jesus. Help us that we would flee to no other refuge, that we would build on no other foundation, that we will rest in, in no other relief. Let us not be at our own disposal, but rejoice that we are under the too wise to err, who is quick to forgive, and who is faithful to lead in truth and righteousness. Help us to guide our affections with discretion, that we may show the world the likeness of Christ. We pray this. And our benediction then comes from the book of 2 Thessalonians. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. In the name of the Father and of the Son.